Hello everyone, it's Wellbeing Wednesday here at Consumers Energy, and welcome to Me, You, Us, a well-being podcast. I'm your host, Bill Krieger, and today we'll be talking with John Broshak about leaning in on racism. So John, if you would please introduce yourself, we'll get the conversation started. Absolutely, Bill. So I am John Broshak. I'm currently the Vice President of Generation Operations and Compression for the company, for Consumers Energy. So to say that you're a busy man would be kind of understating uh, how busy you really are. Oh, people think vice presidents are busy all the time. We're not. We're not. We're (laughs) we're just waiting for the phone to ring. We ask a few questions from time to time. But other than that, it's, uh, you know, because you don't develop leaders, Bill, unless you let people make decisions and be given a chance to provide them feedback. Now, sometimes... You're not as patient as maybe you'd like to be, but no, it's it's great. It's uh, this company's been great. Uh, I've been back now a little over six years. Uh, started my career here way back in the early '90s, but been back now for six years. And uh, great place to work. I love the team. Um, I love what I get to do. It's just it's all good. That being said, I appreciate you taking the time out uh, to be with us here today, and I'm sure the audience does as well. 2020 has been a very interesting year. We've had uh, COVID. We saw a lot of unrest in our country around racism, and that was really kicked off by the George Floyd killing in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And one thing that I've noticed differently this time around, I'm going to say this time around because 22 years ago, I remember what happened in L.A., but there's a difference in what I see, and that is I see a lot of people in leadership positions like Patty Poppy, like yourself, people that I know who are taking a stand against racism, not just saying they're anti-racist. I was really moved by your story, John, when you were talking during Reggie's town hall meeting not too long ago. And I really wanted you to kind of expand on your journey thus far, because I know as a person, I look at racism and anti-racism differently today than I did before. As an example, when I heard the term Black Lives Matter years ago, I was really offended by that. Like, don't all lives matter? But what I have learned is that black lives matter too. And when we talk about breast cancer or we talk about illnesses, we don't say, well, all illnesses matter. We talk about something specific. And in this case, I see that with the black lives matter movement. So I would like you to just kind of share your journey. Uh, We know that our journeys are are not anywhere near to being done with, but kind of where did you start out and where are you at today and and what happened uh, along the way? Uh, there was there was a point in time, Bill, and, and I, I will admit that I shared some of your same perspective on the term Black Lives Matter. I didn't really understand the basis of the movement, and I didn't take the time to find out. <laughs> and so when people would say all lives matter, I go, yeah, well, you know, I'm just not going to get into it. Uh, I'm not going to get into it because what I do in my and I know I offended some people probably when I said I'm a man of white privilege, but but I am. And, and it's so easy for me to be in a bubble and make that decision not to acknowledge what's going on around and 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 feel that because I treat everyone as an individual and I have friends of all backgrounds and, and diversity and I treat all of them with love and respect that I'm being a good person. But that's not the case. And what, what struck me and that what started it all was certainly in the background, there was, was COVID. And I, mean, I should say in the background, it was in the forefront. It was all we were dealing with in the month of uh, March and April. And uh, the company was doing backflips to keep our, our employees safe. But what you started to hear in the news, particularly in the Detroit area, was the disproportionate impact on uh, people of color, particularly the black community. 
And again, I kind of checked it off and said, oh, well, that's that's too bad, right? I mean, that's unfortunate. And then what came to the forefront was, and you mentioned George Floyd, and I think that's when people decided they'd had enough. So that's gotten the most press time. But Armand Arbery, when you, where you look into that, this was back in February, where uh, he was jogging, and I know there's a lot more to the story, but basically out for a jog, and he had a father and son, and the father was an ex-police officer, uh, basically chase him down in their truck uh, as he tried to evade them. And it ended up in in him his murder. And several months went by before it ever became news. And people said, hey, that's kind of odd, right? And then the one that didn't get much press time initially was Breonna Taylor uh, down in, in Louisville, where they had a no-knock warrant, which the, this is a real thing. So imagine you're sitting in your apartment or you're sitting in your house and at two in the morning because uh, an authorized no-knock warrant has been issued by a judge. Uh, you can have the... Uh, narcotics division uh, basically raid your apartment, and in that case, her, from what I understand, her her boyfriend was there, and he had a gun. He was authorized to carry a gun. Uh, the shootout ensued, and Brianna gets killed in her own bed or her own apartment. And you start connecting some of these dots to, hey, something's going on here, right? And and the the moment when I, I started awakening as a privileged white man was my son. Uh, made this particularly poignant post on, on Facebook, and, and he has a unique role. Uh, he works down in Washington, D.C., and he's at a, a think tank, a policy organization, and he gets a chance to, to speak with some of the uh, uh, most brilliant minds on various policy topics, including racism and anti-racism, and periodically he'll share uh, articles with me or, or things, and it's a great position for him. You know, he's just a uh, uh, three, four years into his career, but he posted this poignant thing because people were starting to come out and, and say, hey, look, all lives matter and and looting and protesting. That's not OK. And Antifa and, you know, I mean, all the buzzwords that come out. And, and over a weekend, he said, look, here's my perspective. You may not agree, but here's my perspective. And of course, looting is wrong. Violence is wrong. But you got to understand the underlying current behind this and what's driven this. It, it was so well written, and he had a link in there to the uh, the website for the African American Museum of uh, History and Culture, and it was like a slap in the face that, that here I am, a 56-year-old white man, had to have his son make a post on social media to, and and, and his point was, look, you can't you can't sit this one out. And I still choke up a little bit because it was very emotional for me to just read those words. And he was kind of saying, Dad, you can't sit this one out anymore. So I followed his advice and, and I started doing some research and I went to that website. And it's very well done. And in fact, I had been to that museum last fall. So on a whim, we, we just showed up and uh, were able to get some tickets to go inside, which was like, hey, this is cool, right? <clears throat> it, it's, it's a very, very moving experience and it's even more moving after the fact because I didn't get it. Uh, the, this museum is is very well constructed, and, and you go in and, and you go in as a group, and you go. The first thing you do is you go to the elevator, and they take you all the way down into the basement underground, and they basically start you uh, with the story of slavery and walk you through where slave trading came from, and you know which countries were involved, and they have photos and they have stories, and you you basically go up this spiral, this ascending spiral, which is the museum, and and of course it ends in modern day uh, you know, events and President Barack Obama and all that stuff. And as, as you go through, you basically walk through about, oh, let's say five, 600 years of history. And you can choose to look at it and read some of it or not. And uh, you know, we, we didn't spend the whole day there, but 
you know, different things caught our eye, but it goes through the entire story back to the 1400s, 1500s, if you care to listen. <laughs> and here it is on the National Mall in the United States of America. Uh, it's all right there in front of you. And uh, so as I went to their website now after the fact and started reading the articles, and some are better than others, to be honest with you, but it just really hit me that the disparity between our communities of color are so obvious, whether it's housing or incarceration rates or the one that's in front of us now, the police brutality. Now, you can read different things. And what I've learned is that it's so easy in this conversation to find something to deflect the real issue, the real issue of the inequalities and, and to say, oh, well, that's not a thing now, right? And well, I have data that tells me that black and whites are killed at the same rate at the hands of police. And you, so you can believe what you want, but it started becoming more and more visible and obvious to me that now that I was looking, there's huge inequalities that are right in front of our face and I can either choose to continue to not care about that. Now, there's a limitation to what I as an individual or even uh, Consumers Energy as a company can do to change those things. You're talking about you know, housing policies that have redlined districts and really separated black from whites and, and the terminology about you know, segregationists or the realization that there are people in this country to this day that feel that black people are inferior to white. They just do, that's what they believe. And, I, you know, I could talk to them till the cows come home and, and I'm not going to change their mind because that's what they believe. There's others that believe in, uh, you know, assimilation that, you know, whites are. Well, maybe I don't think blacks are inferior, but if blacks just acted more like whites, uh, because that's the refined culture, right? That's the European. That's the age of enlightenment. We're the we're the advanced culture. If you just act more like us, your lives will be better. And I've been learning just about week over week as I study more, as I read more, it really challenges your core beliefs. And, and, and there's this concept that, and it's, this one's tough, Bill, capitalism and racism are conjoined twins and completely uh, intertwined. And so if you support capitalism, you actually support racism because it, it, the, the growth of capitalism was born on the backs of slavery and treating one race of labor as inferior. And, and so it gets you to really like, oh my God, can I even sign up for that? I mean, I, I live in a capitalist country. I, I support capitalism. It's benefited me personally. I've seen it benefit overall. Uh, then you look at you know things like income inequality in, in total and, and it becomes so big and so overwhelming that I'll have days in a, in a week where it's like, this is hopeless. Like there is nothing I can do to fix this. I just want to stop for a second in, in review a little bit. You said something really interesting early on, and that is you can't just sit on the sidelines anymore. You can't just, I think you said like, check that off or check this off. You can't go, oh, isn't that interesting? We have to do something, but you're right. This is huge. Like I can't go out and change an entire society one person by myself, but what, what can I do? And so where are you at with that? What we've decided as a senior officer team is we're not we're not collectively as a group going to ignore it anymore. Luckily, we have some outstanding people that have been working in our diversity, equity and inclusion organization. I know you've worked with many of them. They've been working on a strategy for a couple of years now. And so the timing was very, very good that within the awakening in the officer ranks and the frank discussion we've been having in our meetings that we are not going to. And, and I'm sure many of 
of us, many of the whites on the officer team are at different stages of, of understanding of how do I feel about it, but we have committed as an officer team that we're, we, we are going to be anti-racist. Now, what does that mean, right? And the first step is listen, okay? Just shut up, all you type A's that just wanna jump to the action phase, listen, okay? Listen to what people on both or multiple sides are feeling and wanna get off their chest and wanna discuss and just allow the dialogues to happen. Don't listen with the intent of trying to change someone's mind. And that is very, very hard to do. <laughs> you know, th th this, this, this conversation very quickly gets emotional. Wherever you are, it gets very emotional and you feel this obligation to point out facts, to get in somebody's face, to say how, you know, shake them by the shoulder. How can you think that? It's so obvious to me, how can you think that? And, and that's not where we need to be right now. Doesn't this go back to something as simple as, if you look at our inclusive meeting guidelines, one of the little sentences in there that we always read says, listen to understand. Excellent point, Bill, in that we have many of those tools available to us already, whether it's our safety tailboard in and of itself or inclusive meeting guidelines that were put together by really smart folks. There's a difference between running through the script and actually understanding what it means, right? And then, and then behaving in that manner. The second pillar is to talk about it, right? So there's one to listen, and you may walk into a conversation or, or you may be exposed to something that, that uh, you gotta just let go. But other is how do we structure these conversations to move, move the dialogue forward, right? And so we've done a, a number of those, as you mentioned, I think this podcast is probably one to, you know, let people participate to some extent in, in a dialogue on this topic. Uh, the town hall, engaging allies and, and discussing racism openly. The last pillar is an action plan. And uh, what we've decided as an officer team is that in order to avoid any appearance that one officer gets it over another, because that's a, that could happen, that's a real thing. Um, I've been very vocal and you know I could look like I'm charging ahead of my peers and that some of my peers don't get it, is to move forward at the same pace. So with the development of the action plans at the same time, uh, making sure that we move at, at a measured, intelligent place, because this is not the time to jump directly to action without the first couple steps of listening, having the dialogue and discussions, and then making a conscious choice of, of what, what actions do we take, but also trying to move the collective understanding of the organization forward back toward our cultural values. John, what you're describing to me, too, is problem solving at its basic level, right? Really kind of defining what the problem is by listening and then having conversation about it and then developing a plan of action so so that we didn't just define the problem and say, yep, we got a problem, and then we check those boxes and, and we're good. Yeah, we believe we can move the whole company forward uh, if we do this well. Uh, not only can we we create a stronger set of cultural values, which we've defined, but we need to really dig in of, of what does that mean and what does it look like. But your ability to have these tough conversations or facilitate these tough conversations can can affect other performance areas that you may be uh, uncomfortable having that conversation on a performance issue or other things that that lead in. And uh, I'll tell you, Bill, uh, you know, it's helping me grow as a leader overall whether it's this topic or it's other things, to be a, be a better listener, to be a better, uh, not so much persuader, but facilitator of potential conflict. And you know, we have various varieties of conflict that can show up in the workplace, not lose the focus of what 
we're talking about here with anti-racism, but it, it can be very enriching to move us forward as an entire company to be more aligned on what we stand for and um, and be an overall positive with, with benefits and returns outside of just this specific set of actions that are going to address uh, our stands on anti-racism. Well, and you know, I want to go back to something that we talked about earlier too. We're not listening to formulate our next plan. We're listening to understand where people are at. You know, you know, I'm not necessarily going to change somebody's mind because if they believe something, they believe it. So I know I've changed my mind on, on some things and I've shared that uh, in a non-threatening way. Just, hey, here's what I think. You don't have to think that way. Do you believe that that might change some minds in and of itself just by us changing our thought process and sharing that? Absolutely. Absolutely. People still look to leadership. And uh, there's this concept of shadow of the leader. If certain things are rewarded in a leadership structure, then you're going to uh, adapt to, I don't want to say please your boss, but uh, uh, at least align with the values that are, that are expressed, that are positively rewarded. Obviously, there's a whole train of thought of things that are negative rewarded or, or not tolerated. And, and this topic can get us there and, and having a better understanding. We have a very strong ethics and compliance program. What's grown out of that is uh, the ability of an employee anywhere to say, hey, look, I don't think this is right. I don't think it's right. I don't think it aligns with our code of conduct. I question what's going on. And part of our our listening and our facilitation of these dialogues is to really point it back there, that we already have tools available to uh, uh, do investigations, you know, because I even asked that question of our facilitators the other day, uh, well, what if somebody crosses the line? What if, what if someone is just expressing violence and hatred in the workplace? Well, you've crossed the line. And yeah, I respect your opinion, but that's not tolerated. We are getting close to that time where we're going to wrap up the podcast. But before we do, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? A fascinating part of this journey, and I commented it on earlier, is how easy it is to deflect from the real issue. And I'll just give you a prime example. So uh, folks around the country are fed up, they're frustrated, and uh, they they feel a need to demonstrate and say, uh, we've had enough. Things have got to change. Well, then, then you have some uh, less... Uh, virtuous people who use that as an opportunity to to break into a store, to loot, right? And then the conversation becomes, well, I don't support violence. I don't, you know, I, I, I support peaceful demonstrations, but I, I don't support this stuff uh, because it's so easy to deflect or twist what's going on uh, into, it's actually about something else. It's actually about violent people and, and other things and really challenge some of your core unconfirmed biases that you might have and say, yeah, you're right. Yeah, all lives matter, Bill. So don't bring this other BLM stuff in front of me. And and I, I challenge you to just be on the lookout for that. Not only your uh, emotional reaction or, or some biases you might have, but pause and just look for that deflection because it, it's constantly happening, you know, and, and because a lot of people enter the conversation from a different belief set, they want to draw it in that that direction that can perhaps prevent you from understanding the core issue and then getting to that conversation of well should we do anything about it yes we should uh, because of how people are negatively impacted but you almost can't get there because everybody wants to pull the conversation in, in a different direction which is non-productive from my point of view but i'm not trying to change what you think 
Thank you so much, John, for sharing your story with us. And thanks to the audience for listening in. And don't forget to join us next week when we will talk with Dr. Jesse about the pillar of social well-being.